I'll always be my song of praise. For it was grace that bought my liberty. I do not know just why he came to love me so. He looked beyond my fault and saw my need. I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me. How marvelous the grace that caught my falling soul. He looked beyond my fault and saw my need. Forever Christ shall be my hope and longing joy for me he died and raised to live again with my whole heart i give myself a sacrifice he is my rock and only right I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary To view the cross where Jesus died for me How marvelous the grace that caught my holy died for me. How marvelous the grace that caught my falling soul. He looked beyond my fault and that we have a Lord that saw our need. Amen? Yes, amen. We'll kind of touch on that a little bit today in our message. Um, again, this past few weeks, we've been dealing with discoveries that revolutionize our lives. Discoveries that revolutionize our lives. And the first week, we discussed creation. We said it's the work of God. Then the next week, we talked about the Bible, the Word of God. Then last week, we said the Savior, the way to God. And today we want to consider salvation, the will of God. 
And so we're going to take just a few minutes and discuss that today and work through that. Before we do, I want to have a word of prayer and then we'll move right along. Again, we have a baptism today, so we want to make sure that we leave plenty of time for that. So let's go ahead and uh, put our listeners on and really allow the Lord to speak to us and clearly identify the need in our own lives. And again, we're thankful that we have a salvation and it's the will of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Lord, I need you. And Father, I'm begging you to speak to me, through me. Allow me to be your mouthpiece today. Thank you, Father, for the music that the choir shared with us today. Father, for the song that was just sung. Lord, for the course that we sang. For the fellowship that we've experienced already, we're grateful. But Lord, now we want to meet with you, oh, in such a mighty way. We are, without doubt, knowledgeable and understanding of the fact that you've been here all the whole time. But now we want you to truly walk these aisles and prick our hearts and reveal to us our need. Thank you, Father, that you love us. Thank you that you care. Lord, thank you that although you may be millions and millions of miles away, Father, you're right with us right now in this room. Holy Spirit of God, speak and move and work. May your word be real to us when we walk through the doors of this uh, building and out to the outside world again. We need you. We love you. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. There are 7.5 billion people on the earth now. Just a little bit under. 7.5 billion. Well, that's a lot of people, isn't it? You know, they claim that 47,500,000 births will take place this year. Excuse me, will take place. Excuse me. Let me stop for a minute. To date, to date, right now, that's what I wanted to say, 47.5 million babies have been born. To date. That's a lot. 20 million deaths have taken place to date. And that means there's 27 million in which have continued to increase the population of our earth. So 27 million more people since the beginning of just the year. Now, in China alone, there are 1.4 billion people. In India, there are 1.3 billion people. And then you compare that to the United States where there's 324 million. Doesn't seem like a whole lot, does it? But yet that's a lot of people, isn't it? Now, again, over the course of a year, we're going to see over 134 million births. So that means there's going to be 134, 34, uh, 31 million people that will be born into this world. New lives, new souls, living souls. 55 million people will die this year. That's a lot of people. You start dividing that by every hour and every minute, every second. That means there's quite a few people passing on every moment of every day. If you break it down, there's 360,000 births per day. 151,000 people die each day. So as we get closer, we see there's just a lot of people here. There's a volume of souls that are being dealt with and, 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 and that, are, that are on the globe in which we live. Now, there are scores of human beings entering and exiting the earth every day. And the data suggests that of those that live in the United States that the population in this particular country, that they're moving away from God and organized religion, religion faster than ever remembered. Now, if people are living, then that means people are dying. And if people are dying, that means there's a decision to make, at least based on what we understand the Bible to say. 
Unfortunately, in America, or, uh, people are quickly retreating from organized religion. They're, they're moving away from the th- spiritual side, not, not so much spiritual things, but they're moving away from, from what traditional religion is. The 2015 Pew Religious Landscape Survey reported uh, that as of 2014, 22.8% of American, America's population is religiously unaffiliated. So almost 23% of all the population of America, of that, 300 and, um, uh, that 324 million, is unaffiliated with religion at all. Atheists make up 3.1%. Agnostics make up 4% of the U.S. population. Pew Research released some new uh, numbers recently that made the atheistic community extremely happy, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Their research pointed out that the number of nons, N-O-N-E-S, is what they dub them or they describe them as. Nons are people who have no religious religion at all, none at all. That the number of nons or those that have no religion at all in the U.S. is soaring to record levels, making up a whopping 56 million Americans. You imagine that. Of the 324 million on this, in this United States of America, 56 million are considered nons or people who have no religion at all. That's a big chunk of, of people. In just the past seven years, the percentage of Americans who say they have no specific religious affiliation went from 16 to 23 percent. And that's just in a survey asking people. The group defined as nons, again, are a diverse group, however. They say that group that has no religious affiliation, some are atheistic, some are agnostic, some believe in God but don't follow a religion. Well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Either way, no matter how you slice it, it means that God is the one being left out. When you combine this trend with the many false religions of the world that exist already, we have a spiritual problem of epidemic proportion, don't we? I mean, this all translates into an ever-increasing number of non-believers who have no hope and are without God in this world. And yet, what we're going to find today is that salvation is the will of God. It's the will of God. It's God's will. It's His desire. It's His longing. It's what He wants for all mankind. I want you to take your Bible and look over the book of Matthew, if you would, please. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to spend our time in just this passage today, basically. We'll maybe we'll allude to a few others along the way, obviously, but this will be our main focus today. Matthew chapter 18, verse 11 through 14. Matthew chapter 18, 11 through 14. There we read, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. How think ye? If a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seek that which is gone astray? If so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep, and of the ninety and nine which were, went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ was a master at painting pictures. He would use illustrations. He would use common, everyday, ordinary type of situations to somehow try to express a deep spiritual truth. In this particular case, we see the illustration in verse 11 through 12. What we have is a shepherd who has a sheep that's gone astray. 
Now, back in Jesus' time, in that agricultural uh, climate that they lived, it was, everyone was quite aware. Everyone understood what it meant to be a shepherd. There was no doubt what the responsibilities of a shepherd were, what the uh, uh, duties of a shepherd were. Everyone could relate to this particular illustration. And so as he shares it, everyone's mind is going. Every, everybody in that, uh, that hears it is, is creating a picture in their mind as to what he's saying. And the fact is, is that you and I, to some degree, can do that even today. We have a shepherd, and we have a shepherd who is over a flock of sheep, and that sheep is in a fold, and they're kept safe by the shepherd. And all of a sudden, he realizes and recognizes that one of the sheep is missing and has gone astray. And so the shepherd, although he has 99 perfectly safe and secure uh, sheep, he has 99 that are quite content where they're at. He still says to himself, I need to seek out, I need to search for the one that has gone astray. And so the Bible tells us that he goes off and he leaves those that are safe and secure in the fold and he makes his journey in order to find the lost sheep. Jesus himself called himself the good shepherd. In the book of John, chapter 10, verse 11, the Bible says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. So what we have here in this particular passage in which we've looked at is we have basically an illustration that pictures Christ, really. We see the Lord in this. And in the book of Hebrews, it's even confirmed all the more in chapter 13, verse 20, when the Bible says, Now the God of peace that brought, again, that, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Notice again, the Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep. So what we're going to see in our passage then is that although we're wrecking, dealing, the Lord speaking about an actual shepherd who lost an actual sheep, who went out ultimately to a mountain and sought out that lost sheep and brought that sheep back to the fold, the fact is he's really referring to himself, speaking of himself and humanity. The illustration, verses 11 through 12. Notice the investment in verse 12. How think ye, he says, if a man have a hundred sheep... And one of them has gone astray. Doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which has gone astray? I want you to notice again, the shepherd is determined to find the sheep at any cost. Matter of fact, he leaves the, his, the familiarity of his environment. I mean, he's safe there along with the sheep. Everything's going well. He's got kind of them barricaded in, so to speak. He's able to keep a close eye on the sheep. He's careful to make sure that no wolves or any other type of, of creature comes along to harm the sheep. And he himself is feeling very secure in his environment where he is. And yet the shepherd, because a sheep has gone astray, is willing to leave the fold and willing to leave that environment of safety and security and go out to the mountain, the Bible says. As a matter of fact, when we consider the idea of a mountain, we think about the terrain being very rocky, we think about the terrain being very dangerous even at times, especially if he's traveling at night or somehow going along in the eve uh, of, the, of the day. And the weather changes so quickly in the mountains, it seems. I don't know about you, but when I travel south, I often use 77 south. And as I take 77 south, I have to go through a, 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 a godforsaken country called West Virginia. Did, did I say that? 
Okay, so maybe not as John Denver would so appropriately say, uh, almost heaven, West Virginia, right? That's probably what most of you think in here, right? Okay, but anyway, it can look like heaven as you drive down Route 77 South, and it can be the most beautiful sight you see along the way. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. But let me tell you something. The weather can change like that. I've been going through the mountains coming back from South Carolina, and all of a sudden snow hits. And I mean, tell you, we're diverted off the highway and have to go through all these little towns and uh, hollers and everything else. Man, I mean, it's treacherous in the mountains at times. Treacherous. And you know what? This shepherd invites the harshness of this journey. He allows himself to go out to this, the mountains and seek this lost sheep. He's willing to put his own life in danger in order to find the lost sheep. What an investment. And again, we're reminded of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take your Bible and look over at John chapter 10, please. John chapter 10, verse 14. In John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks again, and His words are recorded for us. He says in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine, as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and their shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now, I'm not going to go into this. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But what he's talking about is he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. His focus, his direction, his attention was placed on Israel. When he was sent originally, it was to the lost sheep of Israel. He was not sent to Gentiles. He wasn't sent to anybody but Israel. And there were the people he had ministered to. They're the people he tried to reach. They're the people he tried to bring into the fold. Let me tell you, though, the Bible says, the Lord Jesus is speaking here, and he says, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. You know who they are? Us. And ultimately, we become one fold, one family in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful truth that is. And again, understanding that in the book of John, we're still dealing in the Old Testament here because Christ has yet to die. He's yet to shed his precious blood. Therefore, the new covenant hasn't been put into place. He's still dealing with Israel and nations. He's not dealing with you and I as individuals. He will one day, and that fold will be one. What a wonderful thing. And today we see it. Whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, you're one in Christ. It's a wonderful truth. And so notice verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. The commandment I have received of my Father, uh, this commandment have I received of my Father. Now, 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ left the comfort of heaven to walk the dusty trails of Galilee. There he made his way through every nook and cranny of, of that particular area and he met up with the very creation that he himself had made. And let me say, they did not treat him properly. He met with some rocky road. He had met with some really difficult situations. He ran into some real attitudes, if you will. And I'll tell you right now, the Lord Jesus Christ was very comfortable in heaven before he departed, before he left, and before he came to this earth. But he did it for you and I. He came for the sheep. He knew there was somebody that was lost and somebody that needed saved. And he's willing to leave the comfort of his glorious abode to come to this wicked, sinful earth and travel the dusty trails of Galilee. Thank God for a shepherd who wasn't content to watch the sheep 
flounder about or ultimately fall to their demise. We see this wonderful investment that Jesus Christ made. It was on this earth that He endured the greatest hardships and received the most vile treatment, and yet He came for you and I. We see the illustration. We note the investment. But also note the intent here in verse 13. And if so be, that's chapter, you probably turned from it already, right? Matthew 18, if you've turned away, Matthew chapter 18, verse 13. The intent. And if so be that he find it, speaking of the sheep, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Well, his desire, his wish is to find the lost sheep, isn't it? So we find of the shepherd. His desire, his wish, or we could say his will, is to find the lost sheep. To once again be reunited with that sheep that had gone astray. And note, and may I say, that 6,000 years ago, or at least close thereby, Mankind was separated from the shepherd because of sin. And our Lord in heaven has sought us since. And His will is to once again restore us back into fellowship with the shepherd. His intent to find, to find. Notice His reaction in finding the sheep. The Bible says He rejoiceth. He rejoiceth. Take your Bible, look if you will, to Luke chapter 15, verse 4 through 7. This is actually a parallel passage to the one we're in presently. You'll say, boy, it sure sounds familiar. Indeed it is. Luke chapter 15, verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. It's interesting to note that the shepherd that goes after the sheep, he finds the sheep. What's he do? He carries the sheep. Do you know how dumb sheep are? You can find the shepherd and they may still not follow. So he says, I tell you what, let me just carry him. Throw him on my shoulder. Let's, let me make sure he gets back where he belongs. Verse 6, And when he cometh home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. Verse 7, I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. More than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. We see the picture again here. Notice again that we have a literal shepherd, a literal sheep. But the fact is, is that he then equates that or, or identifies that as a spiritual truth and says in heaven when the, the, the uh, uh, eternal shepherd goes out and finds that lost man or woman, he comes back rejoicing. There's rejoicing in heaven. I wonder who that is. I would believe it's the Lord Himself even. 
I want you to notice something about this, though. Right off the bat in verse 13, it says, And if so, be that he find it. If so, be that he find it. Obviously, the attempt to seek and to find is not always successful. Obviously, not everybody that the Lord goes after will ultimately be rescued. Not everybody that he reaches out to will gladly receive him. Not everybody that he works to incorporate and include into his family will ultimately be a part of it. Oh, he's seeking to save. Oh, he's searching with all his might. Oh, he wants everybody to trust and receive him, but that's not going to happen, he says. If, if so be that he find it. There are some sheep that will never be found, if you will. There are some that have gone astray that will never be rescued. And that is a reality. But I want you to notice finally the interest. And I'm not talking about interest like as in the interest you get at the bank on your money. I'm talking about the interest that someone might have in you or me. Notice verse 14 of our passage in the book of Matthew. Again, Matthew chapter 18. He says, Even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Can I tell you that God Himself is interested in the sheep today? God is interested in you and I. He does not want to see one of those sheep aimlessly wander off into the wilderness and starve to death. He doesn't want to see any one of those sheep meander off a cliff to their demise. That's not what God wants today. John 3.16, you may be able to quote it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. In the book of 2 Peter, turn there if you would please. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. We could just simply say He keeps His word. But is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord's not willing that any should perish. See, God's will is that none perish, but they all come to what He calls repentance. His desire and His wish is that every sinner turn from their selfish ways and pursue the Savior. He would have all of us make that 180-degree turn from the world and sin and turn to the Savior in righteousness. He wants that for all of us. He wants us to recognize that there's no way in this world we can possibly earn a place in heaven. There's no way we can restore that relationship with the God that created us simply because we choose to, simply because we want to, simply because we make a decision to say, I'm going to get right with God. No, that doesn't happen that way. You have to be willing to turn to Him. He alone can save. He alone forgives. And He alone enables us to come to Him. This idea that you come to God your way, you 
work hard, you strive hard, you live right, you do right, you be right. That's not going to get the job done. You've got to come to God His way. He's the shepherd. He's the Savior. He's the one that we have to follow, and we have to do things His way. It's funny if a sheep said, well, hey, uh, listen, uh, Mr. Shepherd, I'm going to go ahead and just keep meandering about. He says, no, you're not. And in some cases, what he would do is he'd break the leg of the sheep, throw it on his shoulder and carry him back to the fold so that in case the sheep got off the shoulder or at night on the way back, it couldn't run away from him. Listen, you don't go to God and demand or give your your demands. He gives us his demands. He makes up the rules. He decides how we come to him. And we come to him by faith in Christ Jesus. It's all Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Nothing we can do for ourselves. It's all of us that must cry out for mercy and beg Him for forgiveness. You know what? That's the will of God. That's the will of God. I want you to think with me for a minute now. And we're we're going to wrap this up. This is an unusual day, isn't it? (laughs) But here's the thing. We have this shepherd now. And God in heaven has a will that none perish. He doesn't want anyone to die and go to hell. He doesn't want anybody to be separated from Him forever in the lake of fire. He doesn't want anybody to miss out on that relationship that He intended in the Garden of Eden. His will, His desire, His longing is that all people repent and come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so, God in heaven sent His Son, Jesus Christ literally to seek and to save that which was lost, according to Luke 19.10. And he made his way to earth, and there he sought for you and I, who were separated from God because of our sin. His whole desire and goal is to ultimately take us back. Yes, we're included in the family of God, but one day we'll all gather together in that abode called heaven with the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Salvation is the will of God. And think with me for a minute now. If if salvation is the will of God, then that means if somebody is not saved, they are out of the will of God. And think about that for a minute. Isn't that interesting? If you're not saved, if you've never personally recognized your sin before a holy God, you never... Acknowledge the fact that you are that sinner and that Christ alone is the only way to have your sin forgiven and ultimately be included in the family of God, then I want you to understand today, sir, ma'am, you are out of the will of God. God's will for you is not that you are wandering about in the wilderness on your own. He has no desire that you ultimately travel until you fall off the edge of a cliff or you fall into the pit called hell. He wants you to live with Him forever. He wants you to have a relationship with Him even now. His will is that you be saved, that you repent of your sin and turn to Jesus Christ today. That's His will. You have a decision to make in your life, either to abide by the will of God, to yield to the will of God, or to yield to your own selfish will, to do as you choose, to go your own direction and live your own life without God. But may I say, to make that decision is to doom yourself to a devil's hell, to be separated forever from God in a place called the lake of fire. That's a sad place to be, a horrible place, because God is not there one day. You will be, it is a Christless eternity, a Christless eternity. But God says, my will is to seek and to save that which was lost. I want every single 
person I ever created to be in the fold. Red, yellow, black, or white, they are precious in His sight. God doesn't make the distinctions that mankind makes. God doesn't look at the drug addict and go, He's not worth rescuing. He doesn't look at the wife beater and say, He's not worth saving. He doesn't look at the murderer and say, He's not worth saving. No, he looks at all of mankind and says, there's not one of them that is without sin. There's not one of them that is in the fold yet. They're all gone astray. They're together, together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. And the fact is, I have come to earth to seek and to save that which was lost. And that includes everybody and everyone. Salvation, the will of God. Are you saved today? Do you know Christ is your Savior? Do you know that heaven's your home? If you would have to say, no, He's not. I I don't know Him as my Savior. I, I have never received Christ or His salvation. Friend, you're out of the will of God and He wants you in His will. And that means to be in His family and in the Lamb's book of life and ultimately one day in heaven with Him. What a wonderful truth we have as we consider the shepherd and the lost sheep. What will you do with Jesus today? What will you do with him? Will you accept and receive him? Will you trust him? Or will you choose to go life on your own? The only way you can be in the will of God is to be saved today. Because the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but His long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish. Won't you come to Christ today? Father, we come to You. We thank You, Lord, for all that You mean to us, all You do for us. And